0: This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. It's a privilege to gather with God's people um, whenever we have the opportunity to. And uh, today is a great opportunity that we can gather. So let's um, commit ourselves to God and uh, ask that He will help us to understand His Word. Let's pray. Oh, Father in heaven, we thank you for the week that has passed. We thank you for being with us. Father, this afternoon as we open to the book of James, we pray, God, that you help our minds engage with your words. pray, God, that our hearts will be responsive to you and strengthen our hands that we may lift the way that you call us to for the glory of Christ. Amen. Now, what is one of the most desirable ability in the world that will draw crowds, bring in money, win friends, gain fame? Anyone has such ability? What is one of the abilities or desirable ability in the world that will draw crowds, bring money, win friends, gain fame? Well, it seems that the ability is wisdom. To be seen to be wiser than others. Or at least when you speak, people think that you have knowledge or wisdom more than others. In our world, people are drawn to those who are wise, who seem to be able to make things happen uh, with their speech. You know, such people seem to uh, have some secrets about life that others don't, and they Draw myriads of followers. Their books become bestsellers, selling into millions. Their, their conferences, when they hold one, people will pay hundreds, if not millions, just to hear their words of wisdom. In fact, it seems like one of the most bankable words, uh, if you go to the self-help section of books, uh, is the word secret. The seven secrets of highly successful somebody all the three secrets that all billionaire knows. All the secrets that you will make you are friends with everyone. In fact, if you have just that one word there with nothing else, you can sell millions of copies and earn millions of dollars. If you have secret knowledge or you have wisdom that others do not have, you become of a greater value. Well, apparently this seems to be what is happening here, and it's the same. Back in the first century in the Roman world. Now we are in the midst of the book of or the letter of James. In James, we have looked at the past week how James chided his um, his listeners for one thing, or thinking that they can have faith without deeds. And again, he questioned his listeners who wants to be teachers, but they have no control over their tongue. Today He comes to challenge the wisdom they claim to have. And the source of their wisdom and the judgment they use this wisdom to deal with others. Or to put it another way, today's passage, James is challenging the authenticity of their professing Christianity. As he questions their worldly wisdom that comes with their worldly friendship that caused them to um, have worldly treatment on other people that is contrary to what the Bible says Christians are meant to be. So if you have your Bible or your bulletin, keep it open. I'll look at it um, throughout this uh, short time that we have. It'd be great if you have it with you. In fact, let's look at verse 13 on how James began today's passage. He says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Last week, in James chapter 3, verse 1, many of the want-to-be teachers within the church, they are wanting to be people who can draw crowds by their words. They want to be known as the super-Christian teachers, or perhaps in that time, they would want to be called the Christian rabbis. The word rabbi basically means the great ones. Perhaps they want to be known as the Christian great ones, those who have wisdom. Well, in a sense, if you look at the people back then, perhaps some of them do have the eloquence of speech. Some may even have the credentials on their educational CVs. But here, James intervened on their desires and he says, No. Look at verse 13 with me. Who is wise? and understanding among you. Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. James calls out their self-professed wisdom as unspiritual even demonic. For their desires to be teachers are not to serve, but to glorify themselves. Who is wise and have understanding asked James, and then straight away he answers his own question. Two things. One is a good life, that is, one who does good, and the second is humility, or better translated, meek in himself. So there is this deep connection between one who is wise with one who does good deeds and one who is humble. But that is not what James learned about his readers. Their so-called wisdom just exhibits bitter envy, selfish ambition. In fact, according to James, the disorder or the evil practices that kind of sprout up from the church were the works of wisdom, but that which is earthly, unspiritual even demonic. Rooted in bitter and selfish hearts. Look at how James put it in verse 14 and 16. Look at the verse with me. Twice James pointed out in verse 14, the bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts. And again, verse 16, you have envy and selfish ambition. We could possibly imagine some of those in the first century church who says, who who is always envious or even ambitious it doesn't matter what people say as long as they get the last say that's fine perhaps in the corporate world their words carry weight, perhaps outside of the church it carries weight and when it comes to the church the thing that it translates in the wisdom of the world automatically can be transferred into church and people should respect words that they have. But James says, that is nonsense. Look at verse 14b. Some even boast, perhaps because of their credentials, or even attribute their disagreements that happens in church to be from God, because God has given them better wisdom than the others, so they have to make their point clear. Or else, some of them would deny their bitterness when their wisdoms are not being taken up. Perhaps they've just been totally confused with worldly wisdom to heavenly or wisdom that runs in the kingdom of God because they do not naturally link. Look at how James explained this in verses 17 and 18 about heavenly wisdom. Look at 17 with me. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere, peacemakers who sow in peace, reap a harvest of righteousness. What a kind of wisdom works with God's people. And James says, it is heavenly wisdom. What kind of heavenly wisdom? Well, first of all, it looks like this. It is pure. Now someone will ask James, James, what does a pure wisdom looks like? And he says, pure just means it is pure. It is not a mixed concoction or cocktail of desires. When you have something that you say, this is pure water, you don't find clean water and sewage water kind of mixed together and getting shaken and say, well, pure water for you. So it's the same for heavenly wisdom. First of all, it's not a concoction of God-centeredness and also self-centeredness. It's not selflessness, but mixed with selfishness. It's not one that desires for God's kingdom, but also for one's glory. Heavenly wisdom, first of all, is pure. No wonder James, if you look at chapter 4 verse 8, he says this, Purify your hearts, you double-minded people. James wants them to put away Mix motives in the wisdom that they carry because heavenly wisdom is pure. God-centered without a mix of craftiness for selfish ambition put into it. If you look at it, the rest of the qualities of 17 and 18 then stems out of the pure motive of God-centeredness. James go on saying this, It is also peace-loving that is, it is concerned for God's, uh, Christ's body to be united and to be bounded in peace. Now, Paul puts it another way in the letter of Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 3. This is what Paul says. He says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So here's the litmus test for, for you and me about wisdom, about your wisdom and my wisdom. Do your word and my words... Do your actions and my actions unite and bond God's people together? Or do we bond with God's people only if our wisdom is being taken up? As long as our ideas are being taken up, no we are we are good. But if it's not, then there will be bitterness or envy that kind of bruise along the way. Here's a limit that's do we stay united even when your wisdom and my wisdom are not taken up? Heavenly wisdom is peace-loving. Next, James goes on. He says, Heavenly wisdom is considerate. That is the considerate uh, consideration of of God and of those around. You know, if considerate is just about me, I'll say I'm really considerate, and the rest will say. You are actually kind of inconsiderate. Here, the considerate here is talking about God and of others. You no, know, I've been encouraged at various times in, in our church when I learn or know about brothers or sisters who make it a point to come to church or Bible study, not because they have full energy at 8 o'clock at night, but they realize that I should be there when I can to encourage the rest. Because if I'm tired and I, I, I start to disappear, others are tired and start to disappear, who will be there to spur one another on to love and good deeds? I've also heard of those who would finish their work late at night, but they will travel from one side of the Singapore to the other just to read a Bible of someone, or to spend their free time to visit others, or just listen to those who are lonely. Now, I'm not speaking about doing services out of obligations, but services that's done out of consideration for God's people. That's what James brings on. Heavenly wisdom is considerate. Well, he goes on with the list of submissive, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere well, James could well preach one sermon for each of the characteristics, which I'm not going to. But at this is his point. Look at verse 18. Christians with heavenly wisdom, they sow peace among God's people, and they reap a harvest of righteousness. Indeed, heavenly wisdom builds up. It doesn't tear down. Its concern is for the gospel rather than for themselves. Now, in the New Testament, there is this man who is full of heavenly wisdom. And I want to read um, one of his letters for us in Philippians chapter 1. This uh, man is called the Apostle Paul. In Philippians 1, he is in prison. No, if you're in prison, you should feel sorry for yourself, but not Paul. This is what he says, Philippians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. He says, it's become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone that I'm in chains for Christ. and Because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. With heavenly wisdom, Paul saw that his chains was not a shame, but was God's wisdom in using that to raise up more gospel workers. As you look on to Philippians, this is something that happened. The, the, the church of Philippi, they were close to um, Paul, they loved Paul, and they were pretty upset. Because when Paul was in prison, people start to take advantage of Paul. And they try to discredit Paul or to um, cause trouble for Paul. Listen to what he says. They were really upset, but look at how Paul responds in Philippians 1.15. It's on the screen. Paul's respond to the Philippian church. Well, you know what? It's true. Some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I am chains. But you know what? It doesn't matter. The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Look at how Paul responds. Paul, in his heavenly wisdom for the gospel's sake, he has joy rather than bitterness even when he has been taken advantage of. Because his loss is the gospel's gain. What wisdom God has on that. And he says, I will rejoice on that. Take this one from me. You know, dear brothers and sisters, we, we all have wisdom. All of us do. The question is, What kind of wisdom we exercise? Do we exercise heavenly wisdom, or do we exercise worldly wisdom? Will we learn from Paul, or will we sound like those that James is talking to? In a very practical sense, it sometimes means that we we start to learn to work around other people's needs or in consideration of, of others. Or perhaps we never take for granted when people serve us out of consideration for us. That we love them. You know, one of the books that I read last year while we were having a membership class. Uh, not, not everyone saw this, but, but this book which I read, I think Uncle Jerry was there. And he has this really wonderful quote uh, about church. He says, church is not a country club. You don't go there, you pay your membership fees every month and you enjoy the service. Church is where you go and you sacrifice and you keep serving. Because that is the way God's kingdom works. To grow in heavenly wisdom, it may mean that we start to see our presence in church. Not just for our own edification. Well, it is for us to grow, but not just for us to grow. But that our presence is there to spur one another on. To keep on keeping on. That will grow in the knowledge and so love of God together, even as Christ is about to come. So, there we have it as we think about the heavenly wisdom that we should be looking out more and more for opportunities that we can be considerate to others. The church is not a country club, and so it doesn't have VIP seats for those who are known to be wiser because we all sit on the same chair. Well, Andrew did have a taller chair there just now, but we all share the same in Christ. Now, as I was thinking about this, this whole week, um, I was thankful for many times when someone in this church or even outside uh, show me or points me to Christ with their works and their humility. Now, some actually showed me that they are They're too busy for gospel work for another promotion. (laughs) It's enough. Another one, and I won't have time for God. Others would spend their time reading the Bible with with another sister or brother, or share a meal with someone who is lonely, or to visit someone who has become a widow. Now, I thank God whenever I catch a glimpse of this heavenly wisdom um, by others. Because they didn't show me with eloquence of speech. They revealed to me what James write in verse thirteen. Look at verse thirteen with me. He says by good deeds done, by good life, by good deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. So there you have it as James puts it. But James has one big warning for us that the churches be warned of the inception of worldly, unspiritual, and demonic wisdom. Listen to what he says in chapter 4 verse 1. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You're covered but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because... You ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasure. Now, if the, if the churches that are led by the apostles or by the Lord's own brother James, if the churches of the first century, which had the hundreds of eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ, faced problems of such, any church of our time will be a bit too presumptuous to think we are out of that. That this doesn't happen in our church. So Paul, uh, James' warning here applies to all readers of this letter of James because the root of fighting even in churches comes from the pursuit of one's own pleasure over someone else's needs or wants. So James has spoken this way, externally it manifests in, well, murder, covered, quarrels, fights, internally, look at it, it manifests either in prayerlessness or prayers that is just centered on one's own desires. Now I was trying to find an illustration on this, so I typed on Google, selfish prayer, and out came this prayer. This is one of the cutest boy I see around, but let me read his prayer for us. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my toys to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my toys to break so no other kids can have them. Amen. It's, it's kind of a funny prayer because it, it illustrates so well. Selfish prayer is all about I and me well you know what, while smiling while I was reading this prayer and smiling I was painfully aware of my own prayer life I don't know about you, I find it so easy to pray for myself all day with, without weary or tiredness but it takes a lot of effort to pray for others to keep praying to with those that I say I'll pray for to open the prayer letters to pray for missionaries or Christians that I do not know. I find it so easy to pray for myself. I think, I find it takes a lot more effort to pray for others. Now, John Piper once wrote about praying in a concentric circle. I've got a picture there, I think. He says this, he, he tries to begin praying for himself and move to his family and his church and then growing ever wider to communities, to nations, to world. I find it so easy to stay right in the middle and just a bit out and just hang there most of the time. I find it takes a lot more effort to stretch out, to pray. God knows how many quarrels and fights in churches would have been prevented. If we pray just a little bit more for the person next to us, and a bit less for us that we have done over and over and over again. Now even as James moves from the external quarrels to the internal prayer life he now moves to the very heart of the issue a danger we must all take heed and the heart of this is the sin of double-mindedness the professing loyalty to Christ but yet Shaking hands with the world. Look at how James speaks about Christians. This professing Christians. Verse 4, look at it with me. You, wonderful people. No, verse 4. You, adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So after rebuking their behavior that stands from worldly wisdom, James points... To the heart of the matter. The reason why they exercise worldly wisdom is because they are friends with the world. Now James is not discouraging them from making friends, otherwise we should all stay in caves and be hermits. He's not talking about making friends in the world, but he's saying being friend with the world, that is to align with the world's hostility towards God, to live in opposition. To God. Do you remember the, the serpent of Genesis 3? The ancient one. What did he say to Eve? As he made friends with her. Did God really say that you must not do this? Well, let me tell you what. You will not really die. In fact, it's good for you. Because after that, you get to choose what is right and wrong. You get to choose what is good and evil. Well, dear brothers and sisters, the world as with the devil is still around. It continues to tell us and befriend us and offer friendships to us and to suggest to us, God, He's really a spot. He doesn't want us to have pleasures. You better pray really hard. Maybe He might answer you. As the serpent in Genesis offers Eve worldly wisdom, eat the fruit, be your own God. The same offer goes on in our world, in our time. At the end of our world's value, or the base of the world's value is this, you actually do not need God. You be your own God. You decide what is good, what is evil. Well, you can do a survey of the whole country if you want. At the end of the day, you choose what is good what is not. James' warning was to his readers. Undoubtedly, they are Christians, but so serious, is befriending the world that James turns around from calling them brothers in the last few chapters to you adulterous people. That if you befriend the world and take on their principles, this is how you behave. There are at least two ways you go. You're either... Have to change your view of God. Perhaps demand that the Bible's got to be more relevant or else we'll start to change our relationship with God. Even denying connections with Him. Here's James warning. Friendship with the world will ultimately breed in us the same indifference and hostility towards God. And at some point you overflow into the church. Living out worldly, unspiritual, even demonic wisdom. And so exclusive it is that he started using the language of marriage. What is marriage? Marriage is when two flesh, two persons become one flesh and it can't be torn off to fix with another. Adultery is when something comes in and tries to tear something that is one flesh away so that they will be with something else. And James says if you do that with the world, you are adulterous people. So James says in verse 4, look at verse 4 of chapter 4 with me. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now listen carefully and look at James with me. James has never once said that these people verbally denounce God. They have not verbally said, I don't believe in God anymore. What James is saying is that well you didn't say that. Let me show you in your life what you are doing. We have gone through this. Chapter 2, like the world, you show favoritism, discrimination. Chapter 3, like the world, you use your tongue, you speak against each other. And like the world, you are bitterly envious, selfishly ambitious, seeking to elevate yourself and your own pleasure above others. Your lives doesn't exhibit Christ-likeness. Your life exhibits the world. The double-mindedness, the flirting the world, you know, you have aroused the jealousy of God because there is no polygamy in the marriage between Christ and his church. That arouses the jealousy and the anger of God. Brothers and sisters, as we kind of pause here, here's a question for us to kind of think. How is our friendship with the world? How are we now compared to five years or one year ago? Are we kind of more awkward people, kind of more different from the world? Or are we actually more and more comfortable with the way the world thinks, the way the world chooses, and the way the world speaks about life and the meaning of life? Now, if we have friends together, we put all our friends together, will they see those friends who are at work will look at us the same as the friends who we have in church, they kind of put them together and we still look the same. Oh, it's kind of like water and oil. Kind of mix them together. It's like, who are you talking about? This Andrew and that Andrew. Same name but different person. How are we in our friendship with the world? James says, if we find ourselves to be those that are friends of the world, watch out. Because those who flirt with the world will not go unskilled. Because God is a jealous God. But here's the point. As he reached this point of um, his passage, he suddenly gave one of the most amazing uh, response of this whole issue. Look at verse 6 with me. After he's saying that you are adulterous and you have been unfaithful, he says this, But God offers grace upon grace to those who repent and humble before Him. Look at verse six. But God gives us more grace. That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And here is what those with heavenly wisdom understands about God, and understands about the characteristics of their wisdom. They know their desperate need for forgiveness from God. They know that all their rebellion, their sins, their friendship with the world, their tendency to prefer the world than God's word. They, all, they know that God sees all of this. And they come humbly before God for forgiveness as they repent before Him. And when that happens, God offers grace that is more than what we deserve. And James offers hope. If we who are tempted to be lured by the world comes to this. James says this in verse 7. Look at verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and will. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up. If you're someone who likes to buy bestsellers, this one bestseller you'll never find. You'll never find your New York bestseller one book that says, The world needs to repent. Submissive is good. The world, you need to say sorry to God. You'll never find such books because to the world this is absolute foolishness. But to James he says, this is absolute wisdom. God opposes the proud, but God gives grace and shows favors to those who humble and repent and submit themselves to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Run to God. And James says, and God will run to you. Jesus gave that amazing story of the prodigal son. Let me just read part of it for us. Because this is the story of God's grace for all who repent. God is there waiting to run to those who have committed adultery or unfaithfulness to Him. Let me read this amazing passage. Luke 15:17. When he, the proud and faithful prodigal son, came to his senses, he said, "How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, And here I am starving to death." I will set out, go to my father, say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He thought of that. He was ready. He recited many, many times. And he got up and went to his father. But he was still a, far, a long way off. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arm around him, and kissed him. You know, The son started to... Want well, to rehearse why he said, he said, Father, I've sinned against heaven, against you, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the servants, Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. No, bring the fattened calf, kill it. Let's have a feast, let's celebrate. For the son of mine that was dead, is alive again, he was lost by his found. And so they celebrate. James tells us the one who grieves moans and wills over his or her sins, one who turns his or her back from the world and comes back to the God who loves him, who is well aware that Christianity is 100% grace, 0% effort or achievement. James tells us they will find the Lord willingly lift them up from their shame, their guilt, their condemnation to be the bride of Christ first ten: humble yourselves before the Lord and He will lift you up. Now dear friends, the world its prince, continue to offer us friendship, continue to offer us the same lie that our own rights is more right than his right. Our own rights are more right than her right. And at some point, the world's wisdom will offer us you make your choice of what is right. And what is wrong? But James says, flee from it and run to God. Because God recognizes those who are humble. And He gives grace to them. What is humility? This is it. Those who are humble, they recognize who God is. What God has done. Who we are. And what we have done. Those who are humble, they come to God and they realize what we have done is to sin and rebel against God and are condemned. What God has done is to take the price that we deserve and suck it all up, drink it all up. He put it on the Son. So what we have done and what God has done lands Jesus on the cross. Those who are humble and come before God and recognize who God is and who we are, what He has done and what we have done, will not go to God's kingdom and God's church and start to say, my preference first, I'm wiser than you. We'll recognize that we are all sinners saved by grace and we are united by the blood of His Son. Now one commentator says this, I thought this quote was pretty good. says this, Pleasure-seeking Christians are walking civil wars whose last for pleasure brings fighting to the church and even to the world. The heavenly friendship with God rejects worldly friendship with the world. So may we never be so wise or so close to the world that we actually end up walking, becoming walking civil wars among Christians. Those that comes in and create strife. Those who come in and create quarrels. Now, finally, we come to the last two verses, which reminds us, again, the destructive nature of worldly wisdom, which we'll look at it just very briefly. But let me read verse 11 for us. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. By now, James just plainly put it, the manifestation of your worldly wisdom is slandering of one another, speaking against one another, judgmental speech. And James warns his listeners against speaking evil of each other or speaking down on each other, whether it's by loud argument or by whispers, because this is a sin that is totally inappropriate among God's people. You know, there are all kinds of creative ways to speak evil or to put another down. It's just limited by the creativity of our worldly wisdom. I'll just say a thing, a few together, and I'm sure if we are creative enough, we can find all ways to do that without sounding that is intentional. Now, someone may see um, this person passing by and they say, No, he's the only one there. It must be done by him. Or someone who will come in, in a middle conversation, Hey, you know, what are you talking about? Oh, yeah, I heard that he had a quarrel with his spouse? Is that true? I'm so worried. You know, yeah. what, what, so what happened? Or someone may come in and say, You know, I'm, I'm not such a bad person. But, I'm not such a good person, but compared to someone else, Well, I'm not too bad. You know, there is this really um, religious man, law-abiding man, wise man, as they would have called him, a Pharisee. One day he was walking to the temple and he decides to pray to God. And this is what he says, Luke 18. Oh God, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men, swindlers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I thank you God for making me such a good man. So in using others' failures, he raises himself up. There are various ways that we can speak evil or bring someone else down. We just need our worldly wisdom and creativity. But James warns this, you do not speak or judge others with ill intent because you do not sit on the judge seat. And that's where it ends in verse 12. For there is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So, brothers and sisters, there's place to speak truth, of course. The Bible says we are to speak truth in love. There's place for us to speak boldly about faith, to defend our hope. But we do so gently with respect and clear conscience. In fact, First Peter says this in chapter 3, 16. We, do, we speak with gentleness and respect and clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your, own behave, or your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed by their own slandering. There's no place for slander, not even creative ones, among God's people. So let's kind of conclude today's passage The challenge from James is that we are to live a Christian life that is not built on worldly wisdom gained from our friendship with the world, but rather growing heavenly wisdom by seeking the good of others, by turning in humility to God. Because we know God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me close with this story that um, Ken Hughes recounted in one of his um, commentaries. Uh, This is a story about Charles Spurgeon. He's a Victorian great preacher. One day there was this lady who came to this preacher, Charles Spurgeon. And she said to him, Sir, I pray for you every day that you may be kept humble. Having noted that this lady, she was kind of wonderfully dressed, uh, a fine-looking lady, Spurgeon replied, Thank you very much. But you just reminded me, of my failure and of my duty for I've never prayed for you to be humble. Sir, she replied, do not worry, there's no need of such prayer for I'm not tempted to be proud. Spurgeon concluded how proud she was to have obtained such delusion of herself. Would you pray with me as we close that we may not be blinded to think that we are immune to the lure of the world or the ways of the wisdom of the world but rather that we will ask God to grow us humbly in heavenly wisdom and we submit ourselves to him and to love others would you pray with me heavenly father thank you for the warnings and reminders by james that worldly wisdom and friendship with the world have no place in your kingdom or amongst your people. Forgive us the occasions where we have dealt with our brother or sisters in worldly manner, whether in speech, in attitudes, in actions. Please draw us to see our desperate dependence on your grace and the forgiveness of our sins that we may live a life that humbly seeks the good of each other. Help us to grow in heavenly wisdom till Christ returns all us to Him. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.